0: I had no idea that this is what love was really like. It's very different than what I really thought. I thought it was going to be a fairy tale. But I mean, we're taught that love is a fairy tale, that Prince Charming is going to come rescue you and be everything. And it's nothing like that. It's two adults being naked in front of each other with their cellulite and their wrinkles and all the mistakes they've made in life. And if you think that's beautiful, great. I don't think it's beautiful yet because I'm really scared by it. But I'm willing to trust that one day I'll believe it's very beautiful.
1: Welcome to sex body and soul. I'm Kate Roberts, founder of the body agency. And on this show, we talk about the marvel that is our bodies, what they can do and what they need to thrive. Ladies out there, our time is now. Let's get to it. Our next guest is Leslie Morgan Steiner. She grew up as a little bit of a goody-two-shoes, straight-A student, went to Harvard, became a best-selling New York Times author. Sadly, after abuse, multiple divorces, fighting her own addiction, which she overcame, she took matters into her own hands, had a buffet of young men in her 50s, and she rediscovered her sexuality and desire. Today, Leslie is a regular speaker on the Today Show, and she's also written multiple books about this subject. Leslie, how are you, my dear? Welcome to the show. I am wonderful, Kate,
0: and I am thrilled to be on with you.
1: Well, as you know, because I am a big fan of yours, of your books, of your writing, but most of all, how inspirational you are now as a woman, in your 50s, speaking your truth. And I think that your story will be highly inspiring to our listeners. And I wanted to launch straight on in there and ask you to start from the beginning and tell me about your early years and and what made you, you. Sure. Here we go. So I think that every woman has a
0: really fascinating story, It's just so interesting being female anywhere at any time. But I grew up in Washington, D.C. My mom was a teacher. My dad was a lawyer. They both gone to Harvard. And I was a totally goody two shoes little girl who walked all the dogs in the neighborhood and babysat all the kids. And I loved animals and books. And I sat in the front row of every classroom I've ever, ever been in. And I was very comfortable in my own skin. I just I, I liked exactly the like nerdy feminine little kid who I was. And that's how I started. And I was my parents' kid. I worked super hard in school. I got into Harvard and made them very proud and made myself very proud. And along the way, I had had some really quite significant problems. My family, although I love them so much, and I did at the time, was very good at keeping secrets And the Mm. biggest secret we kept was that there was a lot of alcoholism and drug use in my Mm. family. And I was one of the people (laughs) using alcohol and drugs. Mm. And I gave it all up when I went to college and kind of started my life over and went to Harvard and was an English major and had a very unusual college experience because I didn't drink at all. Oh, and also, by the way, I was recovering from anorexia at the time. I mean, I just Mm. I had I was a golden girl in some ways, but I had a lot of problems, too. But I dealt with them. I faced them all.
1: I can relate to a lot of what you're saying and I'm absolutely going to interrupt you and ask for clarification because I know your story and I want to drag out the delicious nuggets. Also relating to your story, also had an eating disorder and alcohol and mental health issues in the family. It's all very much interlinked, wouldn't you say? Like your body image and your self-esteem really comes from that codependency of trying to change things. It just...
0: It's very hard to unpack alcoholism and drug addiction and eating disorders and, you know, absolutely adoring my parents, but them being very cold and kind of dysfunctional at the same time. Mm -hmm. It was all so complicated. And I I feel like everything in my life is a double-edged sword. Like, Mm. it was the hardest thing in my life that my mother was an alcoholic. It was also the greatest thing in my life that my mother was an alcoholic because she showed me what I didn't want to be. And she gave me the fortitude to, to quit drinking when I was 18. Anorexia almost killed me. But it also, the the article that I wrote about surviving it called Starving for Perfection was published in Seventeen Magazine. It was it received more reader letters than any article they had ever published before. And I got a full-time job after graduation because of it. So I life is complicated, I got to say, especially for women.
1: <laughs> yeah. And tell me, at that point, you're 18, had your mother ever talked to you about your body, about sex, about anything?
0: My mother was completely incapable of talking about anything about the female body. When I developed breasts, she did not buy me a bra. I had to steal money from the coin jar on the mantelpiece to go buy my own. The same when I started menstruating, I had to go to the drugstore by myself. I mean, I just, my mother couldn't talk about any of those things. And my mom was a confident, beautiful, incredibly talented athlete who you would think was comfortable in her own skin, but people are complicated and she couldn't talk about her own sexuality and she certainly couldn't talk about mine in a positive way. When she got really drunk, she could talk about it, my sexuality in a very negative way. Yeah. She did that to all of her children, unfortunately. So, and it's hard to love somebody who's so inconsistent. Um, When she wasn't drunk, she was an amazing woman and my idol, my best friend. And she got drunk every single night. And then she turned into my worst enemy.
1: Mm -hmm. So you're now at Harvard. When did the first uh, love of your life arrive?
0: Oh, my God. Well, in addition to being like a goody two shoes little kid, I loved boys so much from the time I was six years old. I loved them. I trusted them. They were my friends, my crushes. I always had a boyfriend except in my four years at, in college, I didn't because I was dealing with giving up alcohol and drugs. I had never had sex sober. You know, to recover from anorexia, I had put on over 30 pounds my freshman year. And so I just, it wasn't in a place where I could really have a relationship. Mm-hmm. So when I graduated, I still hadn't really ever been in love as a, as a non-drunk <laughs> woman. Um, and I moved to New York for my job at Seventeen Magazine. And that's where I found the love of my life
1: Mm -hmm. and what happened then
0: so I was dating 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 having such a good time dating investment bankers and firefighters and you know anybody I felt like dating it was so fun and so innocent and I met this um, I met a man on the New York City subway one night it was a cold January night my best friend from childhood had just gotten engaged I was feeling like I was never going to get engaged that no man was ever going to love me enough to want to be with me forever even though I was 22 and just starting out. And I sat next to this really handsome guy on the subway and he had a great smile and he was funny. He had a, I remember he had on a beautiful cashmere coat and this gorgeous straight blonde hair. And he looked like a farm boy who had somehow landed in New York. And he told me that he was, he had just graduated from an Ivy League school, just like me. And he was working at a very prestigious investment bank where I knew a lot of the guys there because they'd been like you know, the captain of the hockey team at Harvard, etc. And I was impressed and he was impressed. And I talked to him for a few minutes, thought I'd never see him again. And then he tracked me down at 17 a month later. And at first he talked to the wrong Leslie because there were two of us there. And she called me just laughing. She said, did you meet some guy on this subway? I have been <laughs> talking to this guy for 20 minutes and he is really great, um, but I know he wants you. And so that was, that was Connor. And, um, I agreed to go out on a Monday night date with him to just mm-hmm. let him know that that was the bottom of the totem pole as far as I was concerned. Cause I went out every single night and he was so excited to see me when I walked into PJ Clark's that he stood up and knocked over the entire table <laughs> and it was very charming and wonderful. And, mm-hmm. um, pretty soon I wasn't dating any of those other guys at all.
1: And you married him. I did.
0: For four years. Four years. And it was a fairy tale at first, as it always is. Mm -hmm. He was my soulmate. We were meant to be together. And he first attacked me five days before our wedding. I had never seen him be angry before. I knew he had been terribly abused as a little boy. He had a very dark childhood. But I thought he'd put all that behind him. And he had not. And he, it's not like he slapped me. He strangled me and hit my head up against the wall. Mm. Um, And... Nothing like that had ever happened to me in my life. I was completely unprepared for it. And I was also unprepared to face reality. I was sure he would never do it again. Um, He was just nervous about the wedding. You know, I was his golden girl, the girl of his dreams, his soulmate. He would never hit me again. So I put on my mother's wedding dress. I put makeup over the bruises on my neck. And um, I stood up in Harvard's Memorial Church and I married him and, uh, he beat me twice more on our honeymoon. And I came home to a life that had very quickly gone from a fairy tale to a complete nightmare.
1: Mm-hmm. So to skip to the safe choice now, right? You escaped abuse, still very successful in your career with this all these horrible secrets that you're keeping, right? And you meet safe choice husband who you're married to for 20 years and you have your children with
0: you know having had an abusive first marriage and having been so frightened by the choice that i had made i was really determined to marry somebody safe and steady and calm and i did he's the type of man that would never hit a woman you know even if you if you hold held a loaded gun to his head he was safe and a good financial provider we had gone to the same business school And he had a wonderful relationship with his mother. He seemed just perfect. And we had three adorable kids together. And I threw myself into motherhood. And then after being a mom, a mom juggling work and family for about 15 years, I looked up and I realized that I knew nothing about this man, that he had shared nothing with me, that he was not a co-parent. He was letting me do it all by myself and that my entire life revolved around meeting his needs and making him happy. And in his own way, although he wasn't abusive, he was emotionally abusive and very neglectful. And everything that went wrong in our life, in our relationship, was all my fault. And I think that the worst, the final straw for me, there are many, many, many final straws. He wasn't supportive of my career in any practical way. Um, He would never pick the kids up from daycare or school. You know, he showed up for two hours on a Saturday morning to coach soccer and was like the hero dad. But the final straw was when he started attack to attack my sexuality. And despite that, I, the fact that I'd grown up with a mother who hadn't been very in touch with hers, I was really in touch with mine. And I loved sex. And I actually, I loved sex with him, with my husband, even after mm-hmm. 15 years. And he didn't. And he told me in no uncertain terms that I was not meeting his needs sexually. He accused me of being frigid, which was a very strange thing to say. And I finally realized that in his own way, he was trying to beat me emotionally, to make me feel terrible about myself as a mother, as a wife, as a sexual woman. And uh, I made the very, very difficult decision to divorce him as well. And it was awful mm. because I thought we were going to have the perfect family life, And here mm. I was at my late 40s, divorced twice. I didn't have any secrets at this point because I had started writing about all my secrets and I'd been really open about my secrets, but I still was very unsure of what, what was next, um, getting divorced at 49. And I, I told everybody that I was never going to have sex again.
1: Yeah. Well that certainly didn't happen. So didn't you say that he used to give you a report card after sex to say what you had done well and what you had not done well?
0: Oh Kate, it was so awful. Oh. I tried everything. Like I would book a hotel room and just like screw him all night long and do everything that you could ever think of to do that any man every man I'd ever been with had loved. And afterwards he would just it would have been better if he had been it was like a report card with no comments. There were never any comments because he would never say, well, I liked this or I didn't like this. He would just say, mm, no, they didn't do it for me. Didn't do it for me.
1: Wow. I mean, obviously there's a long line of abuse, whether it be physical abuse or mental abuse. This is all abuse that had followed you around for quite a considerable amount of your years on this planet. I mean, how did this leave you feeling apart from saying you would never have sex again? I mean, obviously your self-esteem must have taken a huge bashing. How do you recover from that? I was so scared, Kate.
0: I was scared of taking care of myself financially. I was scared that my kids were going to hate me for, you know, blowing up their family life. I, But I just somewhere in me, I knew I deserved better. And every person I had ever loved in my life, including my my parents, had really hurt me tremendously.
1: And abandoned you
0: also. And abandoned me. And, and even worse, sort of arguably tried to destroy me and destroy who I was. And I just had this kernel in me that said, no, they're all wrong. And I knew my husband was wrong. I knew. I just, when he started attacking my sexuality, I, I, I just knew that was so ridiculous and so cruel to do to any woman, especially the mother of your own children, that it made things really black and white for me. Um, mm. But it didn't make it easy. Um, I was still scared, but I, I knew that I was going to go out there and find something better. And I came up with a crazy idea, which was that if men had destroyed me, that maybe men could heal me too. Because I was still that little girl who loved men. Yeah. And I thought, I can't just have one boyfriend because then I'll be too dependent on him healing me. I need a lot of boyfriends. I need a lot okay. of men in my life.
1: So, So now we're going to talk about the buffet. The buffet. The
0: the five boyfriend plan. Yes.
1: The five boyfriend plan. You are now 49, right? Or are you 50 at this point? And no, I was 49. You were 49 and you're in an airport and this is where it all began. Oh my God. So, it, just, it was so much fun, Kate. And if I could relive
0: every minute of it, I would. So I knocked over this man's coffee. I was waiting for a flight and he was... I would say, the most handsome man I've ever seen face-to-face. He had blue eyes and this lovely tawny skin. And he was dressed sort of business casual, but he had on work boots. So it was like this construction worker vibe. And um, he gave me a really long smile. And I went and bought him a replacement coffee, and I realized he was flirting with me. And he was, I didn't know how old he was, but he was a lot younger than I was. And we eventually, not that night, but eventually, he broke my four-year celibacy streak in the best possible way. And it turned out that he was 29.
1: Okay, well, well, we need a few details of that. So how do you go from meeting a man, and I mean, we all travel, right? I've been on more airplanes than I can possibly ever count and been in airports and seen cute guys and not knock their coffee over. Maybe I should start doing that. But how do you go from that to in bed where he's ravishing you? And did you, my second part of that question is, is there any part of you that's thinking, I have a 49 year old body. What must he think what about me? Oh, every part of me. <laughs> I would, and I, I thought, I thought, how, how can he possibly be attracted
0: to me? I didn't know that younger men were attracted to older women because I'd had my married woman blinders on for so long. Mm -hmm. And he explained to me what a MILF was, a mom I'd like to F. Yeah, yeah.
1: Um,
0: I thought he was saying milk the first couple times he called me that. Um, But Uh. so what ended up happening is that I did not get his name or where he worked when I met him, when I knocked over his coffee. But I used that Harvard degree, and I went Mm -hmm. and I tracked him down. He worked in an unusual field. He was in drilling and blasting mm-hmm. believe it or not mm-hmm. um and i told him that i could use a little of both and i um <laughs> i wrote him a, a letter at work and i um i essentially propositioned him something i'd never done wow. in my life and he said not just yes but hell yes and really? a few weeks, we started talking on the phone every day we got to know each other he was really very a very very interesting man and we met in a hotel and He getting naked in front of him was just the funniest damn thing I think I've ever done because he was ripping my clothes off. And I was like, wait, wait, have you ever seen a woman my age who's had three babies naked? And he was couldn't have been kinder. He was like, look, your body is not perfect. I bet it was once, but that's okay. I love it. And he he just he made me see myself through men's eyes in a more kind way than I had ever looked at myself. And he made me realize that I was beautiful and that I was sexy and oh my God, Kate, it's like, I wanted more of that. And so you asked, how do you meet men in airports and everywhere? Well, after Dylan, I decided that I wanted a lot more of that. (laughs) Dylan, the driller. (laughs) Oh, yeah. I mean, I just (laughs) (laughs) nothing is ever going to top that night. I tell you. Oh, I Um, bet. (laughs) And but I started I started seeing men like that everywhere I went. And I started smiling at them and talking to them and letting them know that I was interested, too. And I, you know what, Kate? Fundamentally, I just started being really friendly. Not in a creepy way, not in an inappropriate way. I just started being open and friendly because I am open and friendly. Yeah. And I always had been open and friendly, but our society had given me so many messages about that it's dangerous for a woman to be open and friendly. It's dangerous for a woman to choose first. And that's where the buffet comes yep. in, is that I started realizing that my entire life I had waited for men to come to me and where it had gotten me in two awful marriages, And so from now on, I was going to choose first and I was going to look at men. And I've done this so many times that I can't even tell you that I come into the airport lounge or I walk down the sidewalk or I walk into a party anywhere I go, a supermarket, literally anywhere. And I'll look at all the men and I'll say, I want that and I want that and I want that. And I don't really care how old they are. I don't I don't care anything. I don't like married men and they have to be over 21. But if I see somebody that I like, I approach them. And I don't say, would you like to go to a hotel room and screw my brains out? (laughs) I just, I'm just friendly. And then I take it from there. And it's so much easier than women are ever led to believe. Mm. But you do have to get their name and you have to have a way to track them down. That's very important. If you're lucky enough to meet some guy who rocks you physically or emotionally in any way, you better make sure you can track him down.
1: So, so many of my friends, and believe you me, as all women do, we talk about it at nauseum. Uh, especially those who are single and they talk about, oh, I can't possibly chase a guy. I can't possibly make him think that I'm interested in him. He, I, you know, I have to be the damsel in distress. He has to run after me and there's all these rules. And And I try, I always say to them, you know, being, as you say, friendly and open and approachable, you're going to have a much easier time meeting people than, I, I think men and you're the expert here, which is why you're on the show, I think men are often intimidated, especially about older women, and are just looking for one little sign to jump in there. But your experience, I, mean, I remember you telling me that, you know, you'd be in the coffee shop and you'd be standing next to the guy. And tell me about that, where you would say, you know, you'd get up details about them and you'd find out, like, what they were doing there. And you then you would find some excuse to exchange phone numbers or give them your card. Oh, always having a card on you. That was another thing you said. So,
0: what? Yeah, are- you always have to have a card on you. Um, at least that's what I did. Well, I'll tell you, like one of my favorite, I, I, I dated a wonderful guy um, for a year who lived in Louisiana. And I happened to be in a New Orleans ice cream store and he was standing next to me and I just looked at him. I thought, oh my God, that guy is so hot. <laughs> and he had a great vibe. He's a very handsome man. And so I just said, oh, what's, what, what's your favorite flavor? I mean, it doesn't get any easier than that. And he just jumped right in. He told me all his favorite flavors. And then he went and sat down before I did. So that's the next thing that I had to do. I had to go sit down next to him. And a lot of women would have been intimidated by that. But I went and I said, is this seat taken? And within 10 minutes, he had asked me out. So I made the first move. And I wasn't chasing him, Kate. There was nothing inappropriate about it. I just, I tell you, say to all your friends, what do you have to lose? And also, if you want to end up with men who pick you first, what I got to tell you is that you're not going to be as happy as I am, Mm. because especially as you get older, a lot of the men who make the first move, I think they're really sleazy and they're just looking for sex. Yeah. And they think women are desperate, especially older women. And I I want to have nothing to do with that. It's what the reason I don't date online either, is that I think that there's a lot of that going on online, that you get stereotyped as an older woman that you're desperate. And I'm not desperate. I've never been in my life. And I want to pick first. I want to pick the guys. Yeah. And so what I have to do is get up the courage to do it. And then I I try to give them my card. Um, I try to establish some kind of rapport and some excuse to give them my card, Mm -hmm. which is like, oh, well, if you ever come to Washington, you know, where I live, let me know. Or if you're, you know, they talk about their kids. Well, if your kids are interested in the X, Y, Z thing that I do, Mm -hmm. you know, shoot me a text or an email. I, I do that all the time. And my hit rate is not great. I was, I think that 60 or 70% of the men that I approach, I never see again. And I have to really, all of the men who I wrote about in the naked truth, that the five boyfriends, I had to campaign to get them to see me. I had to work really hard because they were intimidated and they were, I was just really different than any woman they had ever met. And it took a while. M- men also get really gunshot as they get yeah. older. They become fragile. They've been hurt, and. You have to really... I always say it was like trying to coax a fawn out of the forest to get some of these men to agree to see me. And they were all happy once they did, but it took a lot of work. Um, and I needed to have really a thick skin. But I also learned that rejection is completely meaningless. We're raised yeah. to think that rejection is horrible as women. And it's not. It's just completely yeah. fine.
1: All right. Well, let's get down to the, the sexual details here. Because when you told me about it, I was like, wow. You know, that's... <laughs> I don't know whether to be horrified or so intrigued and, you know, thinking about if I could do this, but. Well, what horrified you? you?
0: Let's start there. uh,
1: I think it was equal, right? It was, I couldn't decide if I was horrified or if I was like, wow, that is so sexy, so empowering. Like I should be that woman. You are that woman. Well, I know I'm that woman. I just, I have not had a buffet of five men all at the same time. And oh my God, it's that's, so great. No, I, I, I hear you, but that's so wow, right? That is so wow. this is, You are an incredible, strong, sexy, beautiful 50-year-old woman with five gorgeous young men falling all over you, right? What's the not to love about that? It but, was incredible. And I'm confident because of them. I didn't start out this way. Yeah. I'm confident because they showed me how to see myself. So how did you handle logistics here? Because these are all guys who you've got on the go at the same time. I know you practice safe sex, which is important to say, always use right. a condom. I
0: practice <laughs> safe sex with them. And I was very
1: selective
0: about the guys who I was with. I was, I did not break anybody's heart. Everybody knew what they were getting into, that I wasn't interested in a serious, committed relationship and that they weren't either. Some of the logistics, I had to have code names for them so that my kids couldn't figure it out because my kids were very, very curious about what I was doing. Mm-hmm. They were easy to keep separate they all had they all were different they had different names. It was hard to remember what each one of them liked in bed. Mm-hmm. That was a little tricky, but it didn't make any difference and my plan was that I wanted to have three in the city that I lived in and then two on the road and so that made it a little bit easier there were there were a lot of guys who I only saw a couple times a year or, you know very occasionally um, and then guys who I saw more regularly. And the truth is, Kate, if you're doing it the way that I was, you don't go out to eat a lot. You don't go out. I didn't go to social events with these guys. I would never go to a social event with a guy because I was going to a social event to meet new men. So we always met at hotels or my place or their place. And I don't know, it was just incredibly
1: fun. And because there were so many of them, I didn't get overly attached to any of them. That was going to be my next question, right? Because, you know, for me, intimacy is exactly what that that word is, intimate. And I need a connection in order to be, I mean, it's just me, right? We're all made differently, but I need a real connection to really enjoy sex with somebody.
0: I, I do too. I'm exactly the same way. Yeah. And I, I didn't have a single one night stand. I've actually never had a one night stand in uh-huh, my life. Uh-huh. I've never had sex with a stranger in my life. I got to know these men and yeah. If we, there's something, there had to be a connection. Mm-hmm. I think there's no such thing as casual sex. I think sex is really, by definition, very intimate. Yeah. But it doesn't mean it's a a crack of you know what that women are supposed to be monogamous for our whole lives. Yeah.
1: I do. I do agree. I do agree with that. That is one thing. We are less
0: think. monogamous than men actually, because yeah. variety matters much more to us yeah. than it does yeah. to men.
1: Yeah. And so I liked all of them,
0: and they all my I had requirements for men. They had to be smoking hot. They had to be crazy about me they had to be uncomplicated and they had to love sex. It was like, you know, I had the, the rules about who I wanted to be now, with. And
1: Now, wait, Leslie, did you tell them that? Were you No. Were you, okay, okay. You weren't upfront about, okay, here's what I want. It's an arrangement. No, okay. you don't have to go into those logistics. Okay. Because if
0: you pick right, I mean, they knew exactly what I was after. I don't know. I never, there wasn't a single guy who I said, hey, look, you know, I got four more just like you. I, did, I didn't say that. And there were some of them that I liked, I would say actually all of them, all of them, I wanted to be serious with them. Because like, I I, love having crushes on guys. Mm-hmm. So every single guy i would be like, well, do you want to make this sort of like an exclusive thing? And every single guy either said outright or signaled to me, no, I don't want that. Really? This is the deal. So it was very, very mutual. I see. And I loved some of them, Kate, truly. Well, there, there's some of them that are still in my life and I,
1: I have to say that I love them. Oh, well, that was going to ask you because it's hard not to fall in love with something when it's great. If it's great sex, great communication, great intimacy, it's hard not to go there. And, you know, I've tried this myself, not the buffet, but having a sort of an arrangement. This is way back. And it just didn't work out because in my mind, and I think, you know, you and I have talked about this, your parents, your mother, at least my mother did, being Roman Catholic, drilled it into me. You know, it's that, it's that, you know, that mind washing, you know, be a good girl. You know, you and I've talked about this be a good girl and be hard to get and don't give it up and, you know, all of these things. And, but there is something very sexy about your arrangement, right? Very sexy, especially if these men are just fawning all over you and adoring you. And, but at the same time, I think if, if then I was to hear, no, I'm going to see other people as well, I'd be like, well, am I not enough?
0: Oh God, I never thought that. That's funny. Mm. I totally, I understand what you're saying. So first of all, being a good girl got me nowhere. Following societies and my mother's rules got me into an abusive first marriage and a heartbreaking, neglectful Mm -hmm. second marriage. Mm -hmm. So I was ready to throw all those rules out the window. And I would say that's one of my first pieces of advice. Forget what everybody has ever told you, including your mother, including your best friends, about men and dating, it's all wrong. Mm. It's just all manufactured by society to keep women on the receiving end and and, and and giving more control and power to men. And as I said before, rejection is not a bad thing. Mm-hmm. And I knew, especially because so many of the men were so much younger, I knew that I wasn't their life partner, but I knew that I could give them something priceless and they could give me something yeah. priceless. Yeah. And that's what got me through. And also, you know, biologically, A woman, if a woman is having sex with one man, we are primed to get really attached to them. That biological connection is broken if you're having sex with multiple men at the same time. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so I never got that, like, desperate, like, well, I have to see him or I have to please him. Mm -hmm. I, If one of them didn't call me back, I would just call the next one. I mean, it just was so... And they were all equally wonderful. And i I didn't have five all the time. Sometimes I had one or two, and sometimes I had ten. You know, it just... A five was the goal, but you can't be quite that precise. (laughs) And the thing about this that I think is really interesting is that I eventually got tired of it yeah, because it was like eating cotton candy for every meal. And I was like, you know what? I would like a a steak or at least a hamburger. Like I wanted, I realized I wanted true intimacy. So what happened? But if I wanted to still do, do the cotton candy thing, I could start dating 10 guys again tomorrow. They are just Everywhere, absolutely everywhere. We're, and, uh, we're all tripping yeah, over them. No,
1: and I, I love what you said because I do this. I strut all the time with confidence into a room, down the street with my walk. Men love. I don't that. even. I just don't even think about it anymore. That's how I hold myself, you know. And I, I do think that I'm a bit of a man magnet in that way because men love confidence. They love, they love a confident woman. And that's everything. They want a woman, which is why I can relate to your situation and understand it for sure. They want a woman who knows what she wants, who is confident, who loves herself and sex. Okay. So, so you've had your buffet. What I love is, it was between like five and 10. So let's say on average five, right? On average five at one time. And then suddenly you said, this is not for me anymore because you met also the guy, right? You met the guy who you are now madly in love with. Tell us about what happened. So what happened,
0: it was a long sort of torturous process of realizing that the cotton candy was not sustainable. I didn't want it. Um, And then I started looking for a guy who I could have a deeper connection with. And I thought a lot about it. And I came up with a list of five things that I wanted in him. And what were they? What were the five things? I wanted somebody who was a dad, who was a good dad, who loved being a dad. I wanted somebody who loved women. I wanted somebody who was really into the outdoors and exercise. But most importantly, I wanted somebody who with whom I had a deep emotional connection, which I have to say is very hard to find because men don't, in general, want to do a deep emotional connection or they don't know how to signal that they want it. I actually think that a lot of men do want it, but they don't know how to signal it. And I had a lot of false starts of guys who I dated for two weeks, four weeks, six weeks, eight weeks, who I thought there was potential. And then um, it went off the rails, um, either because they would confess some crazy secret about themselves that was a complete deal breaker, like like they liked having sex with animals um, or something crazy like that, or, they, or it just didn't work. <laughs> and then eventually what happened is um, a man who I'd known forever for 15 years asked me out. And he was... I'd known him and he'd been married twice before, just like me. I'd known both of his wives. I'd liked both of them. I loved his kids. He was a great dad. And from our first date, we just could not stop talking. And it was amazing. And it still is. It's like every, every night is like a sleepover, like with your best girlfriends, where we, we talk for hours deep into the night about everything. And we also have fabulous sex. And it's easy with him. Everything with him is easy. He's a great, mm. great, gentle, smoking, hot, handsome, wonderful guy who could be with anybody in the world he wanted to be with. And I'm just really lucky that he is crazy about me. It's it's great. It's not perfect by any stretch, yeah. but it's great.
1: Well, I'm absolutely delighted for you. But is there any part of this relationship that scares you? Oh, yeah. All of it. I mean, that's the big issue. That's the thing that I didn't know, is that looking
0: at me in this this odyssey I've been on as a woman, you know, from infancy till 55, is that I have never had intimacy with anybody except my three children. I didn't get it with my mother and father. Um, my mother and father never told me that they loved me. They never said they were sorry. They were very kind of warped people in a way, even though I love them very much. Neither of my husbands, none of my boyfriends. I never was really intimate with any of them. I was never really vulnerable. And now here I am at 55 for the first time, bearing my heart and soul to a man, And I, I bear my heart and souls in my books, which is really great, but it's different when you're in a one-on-one relationship with somebody who you're sexually intimate with, who you are depending on, especially somebody like me who's been so hurt Mm. because of course I'm terrified every second that he's going to hurt me and I have to face all my own fears and demons. And that Kate Roberts is no fun. It's really hard. And I want to run away a lot. And he understands that, and he's patient with me. And he's got his own demons, thank God. So I help him with his demons, and he helps
1: me oh, with Oh, we all have demons. And how lucky you are. You know, they say that, you know, love is is joyful, and it's also painful.
0: I had no idea that this is what love was really like. It's very different than what I really thought. I thought it was going to be a fairy tale. I really did. That's that's like my the biggest mistake. But what woman—I mean, we're taught that love is a fairy tale, that Prince Charming is going to come— rescue and be everything. And it's, it's nothing no. like that. It's two adults being naked in front of each other with their cellulite and their you know, wrinkles and everything, all the mistakes they've made in life. Yeah. And if you think that's beautiful, great. I don't think it's beautiful yet because I'm, I'm really scared by it, but I'm willing to trust that yeah. one day I'll believe it's very beautiful.
1: Well, I absolutely wish you all the love in the world. You deserve it. You've had an incredible journey. I think you have a lot to teach women out there through your own stories that you've told in all of your books. I have all of your books here, which I'm devouring. They're
0: all journeys. They're all very honest books about what it's like to be female. Yeah. And I will say yeah. to you, Kate, as a my parting comment, the most important thing I've learned along this journey is that I really like myself mm-hmm. and I really like being alone with myself. So if it doesn't work out with this wonderful boyfriend right now or any boyfriend, my backup plan is to be with Myself, And in some ways, that's actually my first choice because I know me, I trust me. We've been through a lot together and it's so corny, but it's really true. I am my own best friend and I've been here for myself the whole time and I'll be here when I die. And that I think is the secret to life is that you are your own soulmate and it makes it possible to connect more deeply with other people, but it's most important to connect with yourself and to be good to yourself.
1: And I think also, you know, loving yourself for sure and having great sex with yourself, right? You have to be able to have great sex with yourself. And, you know, I'm a huge believer that we, you know, I'll be talking to my daughter about how everything works on her body because who gets to hear that from their mother? Absolutely nobody. So she's up for that. So this is my favorite book so far. It's The Naked Truth, A Divorced Mom, Five New Lovers, and One Awesome Adventure. And so The Naked Truth, Leslie Morgan... You are one of a kind. There is absolutely no shadow of a doubt. Uh, you can find the books on bodyagency.com. And I know that we can have five podcasts like this, Leslie. Um, there's so many things. We could. We have so an endless amount of material. And aren't we both collecting new material every single day? Because this journey never ends. It never ends. And it for me, it just gets better and better and better. I mean, I can feel your love of life and your art and your your love of yourself. And I think that is so important. So the last thing I want you to tell us, if you have three pieces of advice to a divorced 50-year-old mom, what are they? One for the sex, one for the body, and one for the soul. What's your advice? Three things. Okay. You got to get naked in front of the mirror
0: and see yourself not as a sports illustrated model, but as in the kindest way and look at all your good parts and just see how beautiful you are. Because no matter how much you weigh or what you look like, there are some beautiful, sexy parts there. And that's the first thing that I would do. I would also say that it's important to love other women too and to be very kind and generous to other women. I wouldn't be anywhere in my life without them. So that's the second thing. You gotta start doing that really early is invest in your female Mm -hmm. friend. And invest in yourself in every way. Mm -hmm. Now, the last thing I'm going to say might surprise you, Kate, which is that you are under no obligation to tell anybody that you're doing this. And I didn't tell anybody for a very long time that I had all these lovers, not even my absolute best friend, because I was afraid of the, you know, them making me feel bad
1: about it. The judgment. Mm -hmm.
0: I thought it was great and that was good enough for me. So keep your own counsel.
1: I guess that's what I'm saying. Well, I want you to be my new best friend and counsel. I am your I new know. best friend. I know. I'm so excited about that. And
0: and I'm everybody's new best friend because I love women. I really yeah. do. I love men too. Yeah. But women are the Oh, they bomb. are. Yeah. Life is not survivable well, without connection to we're other We're
1: going world. to change the world by investing in each other. And that is my mission. It's always been my mission. And you are certainly doing that, Leslie.
0: So... Well, I'm proud to be a part of the Body Agency. I'm proud to be on your podcast. I'm proud that we're having this conversation. Candor, it especially between women, is extremely powerful. Yeah. It can change the world. It has changed. It the world. has.
1: And and being able to talk about these difficult issues, right? Because we're all thinking about it and it's time to get it out there. And so that's what this that's what this podcast is doing. So we're absolutely thrilled to have you be one of the first 20 people to be on the show. So to be continued, I love you and I'll see you soon. Wonderful. Thank you so much. Thank you for joining me for this episode of Sex, Body and Soul. Remember, you can find all of my favorite products and resources to support your health and sexual wellness through my one-stop shop, The Body Agency. Be sure to sign up for our email list at thebodyagency.com for the latest curated recommendations from our industry experts and use our special promotion code to get a 10% discount, podcast 10. Thanks for listening.